I'm excited because we started in this series called One Change. And we're going to be looking at the different areas of your life. And we're going to ask you to consider what God would have you change in that area. We're going to be looking at seven key areas of your life, including your, your physical health, your relational health, your mental, emotional, financial, even your worship, how you worship. And we're going to be looking at all of these areas. And how do you change the things you want to change? Or the things you want to see change? And how do you maintain that change? In other words, how do you have long-term transformation? So we're going to be looking into that into the following weeks. But first, we have to talk about some fundamental things that the Bible says that we need to be able to initiate and affect that change. One, we spoke about last week. So if you weren't here last week, I invite you to go to our website and listen to that message. We looked at what change requires of us and how to initiate that change. That is fundamental for us to be able to maintain and withstand change in life. The Bible calls that transformation. Now, the second thing that we're going to need to initiate to make a change is we're going to need to look into developing a life support system, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, in fact, all of us, whether we recognize it or realize it, we all need a support system. In fact, no doctor would ever think of operating on someone with, without some type of life support system. No astronaut would ever go into space without some type of support system, right? No soldier is ever sent into battle without some kind of support system. There are support systems for everything out there. And take road biking, for example. You guys see that, that fancy bike up there. Well, interestingly enough, I started road biking uh, just over a month ago. My friends, Mark and Terry, who are elders here at the church, I think they're here somewhere, and they, they convinced me to start road biking, and they said that it would be so much fun so for Christmas, I got myself this fancy road bike. It's not as fancy as that, but nevertheless, it's fancy. And you know what I realized? The first thing I realized is that no matter how fancy your bike is, you still have to pedal it. It doesn't go on its own. <laughs> well, catch this. On just my second time out, my second ride on a road bike, these same buddies of mine said, you know what would be a great idea? It's if we ride to the beach and back, and then we're gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so much fun, and we're gonna have breakfast, and then it's about 25, 26 miles one way, about 50 plus round trip, and honestly, all I heard was breakfast. So <laughs> I said yes. So we start our ride, and we're on the, the SART. For those of you that don't know, I didn't know what it was either. It's the Santa Ana River Trail. You don't call it the Santa Ana River Trail, you call it the SART. And then Mark and Terry start explaining to me all the, the rules of road bikers. I mean, it's this whole culture that I, I didn't even know, and there's, there's size and secret handshakes and all kinds of stuff that go into it. And so they're explaining all of this to me, and, and this, they start explaining this concept of a peloton. Does anybody know what a peloton is? I didn't know, only a few of you. Yeah, I didn't know what it was either. I thought, honestly, that it was a a soccer term because pelota in Spanish means ball in English. So I thought it was something to do with, with, with uh, soccer. But anyway, a peloton is basically a pack, of a pack of guys, a group of guys that ride together. So play that video so I can tell you guys how that works. Now, the intent here is to ride as a pack. And the reason you do that is to protect you from the wind, understanding that the wind is going to cost you to get exhausted a lot faster, exhaust your energy. So you form this pack, you form this peloton, and you ride very close together in different formations, depending on which way the wind is blowing. Now, you have lead riders and you have trail riders. 
And the guys in the front are basically, they exhaust the most energy because they're, they're taking the brunt of the wind, while the guys in the back only use about a third less energy because they are protected from the wind. This is called drafting. Now, there's really no leader per se because everyone takes their turn at the front. Now, this concept of a peloton, it's really very technical. It has a lot of techniques and styles and rules, and I'm oversimplifying it here, but the point is that riding as a pack, the intent of it is that it's going to help you conserve energy for long period of time, for, for longer rides. So Terry is explaining all of this to me on our ride up to the beach, 25 miles going, and Honestly, all I can think of at some point is that I just don't want to die. That's all I'm thinking of in my second time out on this bike. So we get to this breakfast place. I get off my bike, and everything is hurting. And I'm looking forward to breakfast. And we sit down at breakfast, and through all, throughout basically all of my breakfast, all I can think of is, how am I going to get out of the next 25 miles? I mean, can I develop a sudden ankle sprain or something, you know, something manly that will, I could just call my wife and say, hey, come pick me up. But, you know, I mustered it up, and we, on back we came, right after breakfast. And as soon as we hit the Sart, Santa Ana River Trail, I found out, as soon as we hit it again, we met up with a group of guys, a lot of guys. Terry, knew, Terry knows a lot of people. He knew some of those guys, and they decided, hey, wouldn't it be great if we joined their Peloton? This is my second time out, guys. And I go, yeah, that sounds great, you know. At this point, remember, I'm trying not to die. So I fall, of course, I fall to the back of the pack. That's, that's where I, I, I went automatically. And at this point, I'm just trying to keep up. Folks, it's terrifying. You're, you're paying attention to the people in front of you, and you can really hurt yourself or hurt others. So I'm just back there. And I'm honestly, I'm really glad that Terry explained all of this to me at this point, because I'm starting to see hand motions, and I'm starting to understand what they mean. And, and then all of a sudden, I started to realize that I feel pretty good back there. Remember, I was really exhausted before, but now I feel pretty good. I'm in the back of the pack, and I'm keeping pace with it. I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. I started feeling so good that I started to think, I think we're going a little slow here. Hmm. So now it's coming my turn to come to the front and take my turn. And honestly, all I can think of is that I'm going to cause this massive rider pileup as soon as I get to the front. You know, it's going through my head. But guess what? I, I get to the front, and I like it there. I don't have to pay attention to anyone in the back. I just have to point out a few you know, hazards and stuff. And, and so I just get on the bike and I just start going and I feel good and I'm going and all of a sudden I look back, there's no one behind me. I left them all. I start to think, what a bunch of losers these guys are. <laughs> it's my second time out and these guys are gone and, and I felt like that for about five miles and I'm going and I'm like, wow, I'm awesome, right? And I'm thinking, you guys know where this is going, right? Well, it didn't take long before the first group of guys caught up to me. See, in a peloton, another one of the techniques is eventually you break off and you make a run for the finish line in groups. And anyway, so the first group gets up to me and I go, finally, somebody, I'll just fall behind them and go with them. They, they lost me like that. As soon as they came, they went, they rode off into the sunset and I could not keep up with them. The second group comes, the exact same thing. I fall behind them, was not able to keep up with them. They, they lose me and they take off as well. And finally, my buddies, Mark and Terry, they show up. I guess they had stopped in the bathroom or something. They show up, and I don't know what happened, but I guess they realized that I was a little exhausted. And I didn't let them know anything because, you know, we're guys and we're menly, right? So we don't say anything, but they, they slowed down for me, basically, is what they did. And the rest of the way, they got in front of me. I never once again took my turn up in the front, and I just struggled to keep up with them the rest of the way, and I couldn't wait for the ride to be over. Every My butt was hurting. I mean, everything was hurting. 
But here's my point. Life, we know, is a long journey. It's not a fast sprint. It's not like you get on your bike and you ride from here to the store and back. No, life and the journey of life, it's a long stretch. And on that ride of life, you're going to encounter wind, unforeseen obstacles, all kinds of hazards, and you're going to have a choice to make in that journey of life. You can either try to be a lone ranger like I was and find out the wrong way, or you can build a life support system around you, a peloton, if you will. You see, God, he never intended for you to go through life on your own. God never, ever intended for you to face problems and difficulties and tragedies and all the pressures of life all by yourself. In fact, do you guys remember the very first thing that God thought when he created Adam? He said, it is not good for man to be alone. So whether you're married or not, that's irrelevant. The issue is that you need people in your life. You need a pact. You need relationships. You, because we're better together. God wired us for community. God wants you to be in your own peloton. And in the family of God, the church is called the body of Christ. That's you and me. We all make up the parts of the body of Christ. The church is not a building. It's you and me. And the life of those parts we know are in the cells. That's where the life of the whole body is, in the cells. And those cells are comprised of smaller groups, of smaller packs, of smaller pelotons. Now, folks, what I'm explaining to you is not a new concept. I mean, Jesus talked about this, the importance of community, in a very well-known scripture that a lot of us know. It comes from Matthew 18, 20. It says, wherever two or three gather together in my name, I will be there with them. Meaning that God, folks, God is in the core He's in the cells. He's with us in the small groups. Jesus says that anytime two or three, that's a small group, that's a, a small peloton, when two or three to get together in a group, there I will be also. Now, the Bible models this concept of small group for us. In 1 Timothy, Paul says this, I'm writing these instructions so that you'll know how to live in the family of God. See, he's writing to a church that didn't automatically know what a small group does, what the cell of the body of Christ does. So Paul says, I'm writing these instructions so that you will know how to live in the family of God, that the family is the church. Now, our model for Canyon Hills, this church, has always not been this, you know, this contemporary church or this mega church, but, or any other church for that matter. Our model has been the church in the Bible. Now, the very first church that was started in Jerusalem happened over 2,000 years ago, and it was recorded in the book of Acts. So when you guys have a chance, read the book of Acts. It just tells you all about how the church got started. And in chapter 5 of that book, in verse 42, it tells us that day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, to us, that could look like a pretty plain verse, that they met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. Now, but that verse contains a structure on which this church, Canyon Hills, is built. We do the exact same thing. We meet in the temple courts and from house to house. In other words, we have large group worship like today, and then we have small group fellowship. Now, we're doing the temple courts right now. 
and the large group worship because you guys notice that it says temple courts, meaning it's plural. You see, the first church, they were growing so much in numbers that they couldn't all meet in one temple court or one building. They had to go to multiple ones, so that's what we do. In fact, if you think about it, we have one of the churches we planted in Clovis through, through uh, David and Valley Friends Church. They meet in their own temple courts. And then we have Pastor Sergio in Mexico, another church we planted. They meet in their own temple courts. And we just send out, we're sending out the, the Philippines team over to, the, I mean, to commission them to go to the Philippines. And they're going out to the temple courts over there, which is about 14 of them. So we do that during the week. But then during the week in all these different locations, just like the Bible did, they meet from house to house. That's what's called home groups. And there's a lot of names for those. Every church has a different name, fellowship group, life group, support groups, transformation groups. Here at Canyon Hills, we call them C groups. The C group stands for community, connection, caring, Christ-centered. And they meet all over the place. They meet here at church, in people's homes, in restaurants, kind of pretty much all around. And the point of these small groups is to mirror the elements of your life support system. There's a model for that in the Bible and how to build those life support systems. And they're essential. And we find them in the book of Acts. And they're important to us because, folks, the reality is that you're, if you're not in a support system today, you're going to need these elements in your life at some point in your life, just like I did on my right. And if you are going to have a light support system, you want it to be consistent with the model found in the Bible. And if you already have a light support system or you think you have a life support system, then all I encourage you to do is to gauge, I mean, to see if they, they're consistent with what the model looks like. Now, first, let me give you a little bit of background in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is all about how the first church got started. It records the spread of the gospel, not only geographically, but culturally. In the, first act, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus, you know, before he ascends into heaven, a final time, now he's telling his disciples that they should wait for the gift. He's talking about you should wait for the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what he tells them. So essentially he is commissioning, this is the first time we saw it, he is commissioning them to go out and spread the gospel, and that's how the first church gets started, which is what we did this morning. We commissioned the Philippines team. Then in the second chapter, we see Peter step up in the day of Pentecost, which is a, a big day then, and he preaches this amazing message. Now, it's very important that we understand that he uses Peter, because if you guys remember, Peter right before that had denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus comes to him and says, it's, 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 it's all right, Peter. In fact, you are going to be the rock on which I build my church on. And then this is coming true right here when he uses Peter to preach this amazing message where the Holy Spirit descends on all of these people and they start talking in different languages that they all understand. And then the Bible says that about 3,000 people, because of this message, accepted the message. In other words, they accepted the message of Christ. And folks, that is how the first church in history got started. So let's pick up our, that story in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And he says, they, meaning those people that we're talking about, they gathered together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Folks, this is really important for us. It is a model for us. Because if we don't have these elements, this model in our spiritual life, if you don't have this in your support systems, we're not going to make it spiritually. These are the things that keep us healthy. These are the things that keep us growing, the things that keep us transforming and becoming more like men and women that God wants us to be. The first element that I read about here, if you want to build your life support system, is that you have to have a dedication to God's Word. And you have to do it together. And that's one of the things that if you have a life support system now, or you think you do, and you don't, and you're going to get one, this is the first thing that it should have. The difference between an effective support system and a group of friends is just that, studying God's Word together. If you don't study God's Word together in a group, then you don't really have a life support system. What you have is either a party, which are pretty cool, you have a clique, or you have a social club. None of those are wrong, but we're talking about a life support system here. Remember that. The Bible tells us in Acts 2.42 that they committed themselves to learning the teachings of the apostles. And we know the New Testament was written by the apostles. The apostles like we read about, Peter, John, Paul, the book of Acts was written by Luke. So when they're studying the teachings of the apostles, what they mean is that you study the Bible, God's word. And if you think about it, there's a lot of benefits from studying God's word together. And in many ways, actually a lot of ways, small group Bible study is a lot more important to your spiritual health and your spiritual growth than personal Bible study. And let me tell you why. Now, let's say that you go home today from church and you witness a car accident. Who's going to see more details? One witness or six? Well, we know that six pair of eyes is going to see more details than one pair of eyes. Well, the same is true for Bible study. When you study the Bible with other people in a small group, you get far more out of it than you would just get if you were to read it by yourself. Because other eyes are able to see things that you are not seeing. You see, whether we like to talk about it, admit it or not, at least I can speak for myself, we all have blinders, cultural lenses, different perspectives and backgrounds and prejudices and biases. And when you come to a small group, people who have different occupations and ages and genders, you're going to see things that they don't see and they're going to see things that you don't see. So if you're going to gauge and you're going to engage in a live support system or you think you have one now, then you should have that thing in common. The second thing that your live support system has to contain is a commitment to love each other. Commitment to love. That is the second thing they did in the New Testament. It says that they joined with other believers in fellowship. Another translation puts it this way. They were like family to each other. And you're going to discover, if you haven't already, that in many ways, your spiritual family becomes even a little closer than your biological family. Another translation says that then they committed themselves to life together. So what we're talking about here is a commitment, a commitment to love. When you commit to each other, you commit to love each other. And this is important for us to recognize because love, you see, is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice. And if you think love is a feeling, well, then as soon as you don't feel the love anymore, then 
you don't think you love someone anymore. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. And folks, small groups, life support groups, a peloton, if you will, they're, they're a laboratory for learning how to love, for learning relational skills. You see, some of us learned the wrong relational skills growing up. We didn't learn how to resolve conflict or we didn't learn how to make a point or we make points to try to get them across and we cross people while trying to make those points. A lot of those things happen when we grow up. And you all, we also have to understand that, that the number one purpose of your life and the number one purpose of my life is to learn how to love. That is why God put you and me on this earth. I mean, he could have just created us and taken us straight to heaven, but he didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? It's so that we could practice love. He put you here to learn how to love because God is love. And guess what? You can't learn how to love unless you are with people. You can't learn how to love by yourself because then all you do is love yourself. That's called selfishness. You know, a lot of religions teach that the way you become holy, the way you become spiritual is, is to get away from people. You know, a lot of religions, in a lot of religions, the holiest person is the one who goes up to the mountain or a cave, and they're not touched by evil or wicked or mean, bad, nasty humanity. So that way they can stay pure. But Jesus came, and he blew up that myth. Because we saw him in the marketplaces. We, he was in people's homes. He was in small groups. Because you can't love by yourself, right? I mean, you guys, that makes sense. It's It's logical. And specifically, you have to learn how to love around some unlovely people. You know, because I hate to tell you this, but it's easy to love the people that are just like you. You know, the cool people, all of you guys are really, really cool, right? No faults, no hang-ups, no weird habits, no fears. It's easy to love you or people like you. But there's other people that need your love as well that are not as cool as you. So we have to learn to love the unlovely, and there's a word that the Bible uses for practicing that kind of love. The Bible word for practicing love is called fellowship. That's why it says that they committed themselves to life together. Well, if you want to build a strong life support group or a system, then here's my challenge to you. Go out and get one. Join a small group. Get the group that you have now and put these things into these elements into motion for your small group. If not, we have a lot of small groups at Canyon Hill that you can join. So my challenge for you this morning is that you, as a result of not hearing me, but hearing God's word and modeling what God wants you to do, is that you would step out of these doors and you go out and you build a life support system that is consistent with what we're talking about here. And I'm not even asking you to make that commitment for the rest of your lives. Hopefully you will. I'm just asking you to make it for the next eight weeks that we're in the series. And let's see what God does. So in that, we're going to study God's word. We're going to commit to love each other. And there's a third thing that's probably one of my favorites. They're all good, but this is one of my favorites. That we share meals together. You guys remember that breakfast thing? We're going to share some meals together. Now, they did that in the Bible, and we're going to do it too. And I know some of you guys are thinking, it's like, what in the world does food have to do with life support systems? Well, I don't really know, but what I do know is that if we're going to be meeting on a regular basis and there's no food, I'm not going. That's what I know. <laughs> the Bible says that they shared in fellowship meals. And they did this from house to house, from home to home, all in their small group. And the Bible says that they broke bread together. 
you know, I, I don't know, I'm always wondering stuff like, I wonder if they had to deal with gluten-free and vegan people and all. Anyway, that's a different message. But what's interesting, one of the interesting things that as I was studying this is I was starting to think is like, why did Jesus, you know, do everything through food? In fact, Jesus, some of his teachings, some of his important stuff, when he thought there was a couple of things that were in common, he was either in a meal or he was walking. Now, in fact, the Pharisees, they, they accused Jesus all the time of being a, a glutton and a drunk because he was all, Jesus was always at the parties and at the dinners, and basically, he was always ba- uh, breaking bread. Now, think about it. Why did Jesus do most of his teachings when people were eating or walking? Well, as you think about it, I think you'll discover it's big. what happens when we eat. We're relaxed. We let our guard down. We let certain people come to your house or come to dinner with you that are close to you that you can be vulnerable with. Something happens when you eat that doesn't happen in, in a large group. It only happens in a small group. That's why he did the teaching in the small group like that. Your barriers and your resistance, that all goes down and then your mind is more receptive to accepting other people and accepting the truth about some situations. So food is an important element to fellowship and to your life support system. Notice that the Bible says that they ate meals together in their homes, eating with great joy and generosity. The writer here, Luke, makes an assumption that sharing food in our small groups will involve joy and generosity. That means that you give of your best and that you do it cheerfully. And there's another important element that your life support system should contain, and that is a commitment to prayer. Commitment to prayer. Folks, it is the greatest thing in the world to know that there's other people praying for you. That is why we're going to pray for the Philippines team. That's what they did in the first church. This amazing thing happens when a group of people pray for each other. And I don't know exactly how it works, but you know that well-known scripture that we just talked about, that in Matthew 18, 20, when two or more are gathered there, he will be also. But we don't often read this next scripture that happens just before that, where it says that if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, when you ask, you're praying, right? My Father in heaven will do it for you. So folks, there is great power in praying as a group. You pray with the group, and you pray for the group. Now, I know that that sounds pretty terrifying to a lot of people here. In fact, that's probably why they don't join small groups, because you think they're going to ask you to just pray aloud, and you're going to start shaking, or something weird's going to happen when that happens. But all I'm asking you is to consider that, and next time you're around the group, you can pray in your heart. You don't have to say a word. And if you want, you can say, I'm thankful for, and that's it. It doesn't have to be difficult is the point. So as you pray for the group and you pray for the group, there's something amazing that happens. I don't know, how, again, how that works, but it just starts to change us. And we start seeing people in a different light and being sensitive to people's needs. And it's just amazing what happens. And that all, that all occurs in your life support system. And there's one other thing that your life support system has to contain. And that is that we encourage each other. Basically, what we're talking about is we help each other out. Saying we practice unselfishness in the group. The Bible says this about the first group. It says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. 
Now, what kind of needs are we talking about here? We're talking about practical needs. You know, and all I could tell you about is, use our small group as an example. Our small group has, uh, in both ways, both directions, we've taken meals to somebody that was sick. We've helped people get to the hospital because they couldn't get there on their own. We, we've been able to purchase groceries for some other reasons, and you take groceries. I mean, there's all kinds of practical needs that can be met as a result of that. Basically, what I'm talking about is you help each other out. You have each other's backs. In order to be all that God wants us to be, we have to practice getting outside of ourselves. And you can't do it getting closer to yourself. That's just not going to work. You have to get outside of yourself to be all that God wants you to be. In fact, in 1 Peter, it says that God has given each of us some special abilities be sure to use them to make a lot of money. Is that what it says? Then why do you think he gave you those special abilities? Is it just for your benefit? God gave you some special abilities that I don't have and vice versa. And it is to be used to encourage each other, to help each other out. And fold, you take that a little further and you take it into we're supposed to do it in a loving way and we're supposed to lovingly also hold each other accountable, which means that as we set goals and we say, you know, I'm going to be there with you, I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to support you, and if you give me permission, I'll even call you and say, hey, how's it going in that diet? How is it going with you saying that you're going to read those, those devotionals on a daily basis? How, how are you doing on that? Folks, we all need that. In fact, the Bible in Hebrew tells us that let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. So, man, I, I have a question for you this morning. Do you have someone in your life support group that you've given permission to spur you on? Women, do you have someone in your life support group that you've given permission to spur you on, to be a better man or women of God? You know, this whole concept of this life support system, I have to tell you, I've been, unfortunately, I've been on both ends of it. I've gone through life without it, and I've gone through life with it. And I have to tell you, and what I'm going to recommend to you right now, it's no, it's no secret, I like it a lot better when I have a life support system, just like I did on my bike ride. It was a big deal to me that these guys just slowed down for me and supported me. It meant more than, I guess they know now, but that they would have ever known. And I don't have time to tell you about all the times in my life where there was some tragic death that was unexpected or, or you know, my wife and I just scraping through pennies just trying to get by. I just think of so many things that we've gone through in life had it not been for a life support system, I can honestly tell you, I don't know where I would be. I don't think I would be standing here today. Folks, God commands us to love one another. And you can't love one another without being intentional about building that life support system. And it's going to be fundamental for you to be able to initiate any change that God brings to mind to you over the next eight weeks or even now that he wants you to put into practice. And you know what it starts with? It starts with one change. It starts with your willingness to let people in, and it starts with you starting to give of yourself, to get outside of yourself. It starts with you seeking community. It starts with you building your own peloton, if you will. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Nothing more but your word, Father. So we take that word, Lord, and we pray that we would be able to put it into practice. Lord, I know you are so faithful that right now you're already speaking to people what you would have them do, maybe even changes that they would, you would have them change. So through that faithfulness, Father, I, I pray that it is accompanied with courage and perseverance and peace to know that if they're doing it for you, then everything is going to be okay because you have a perfect plan for us, Father, and it is a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, Father, because you are a good, good Father. So we walk out of these doors knowing that we're going to put that into practice, planting your word in our hearts, and we thank you for what you're about to do in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.